Okay, it's good to be with you today. Um, now, this isn't just the Sunday after Thanksgiving. This is also the first Sunday of what uh, we in the church call Advent, those uh, four Sundays that come before we get to Christmas Day. And so uh, I thought we'd do a little something with a beginning of the Christmas season theme. We're going to be looking at a passage from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, starting with verse uh, 35, and, uh, um, and, and I'd encourage you to read along with me if you'd like, or just listen to what God's Word says. Jesus is speaking, and He says, "'Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning,' like like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at his table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Would you pray with me? God, would you bless uh, this time that we have together now as we look at this story that Jesus told long ago as we try to unpack it and as we uh, uh, seek to apply it to, to living today. Uh, bless this time in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Amen. So this morning we have before us another one of those stories that that Jesus told when he lived on earth among us. Another story, by the way, that can transform our lives if we let it be so. This particular story is often called the parable of the watchful servants, or sometimes it's called the parable of the serving master. I, I like that second one better because I think it puts the emphasis or I'd like it to be on the master. Either way, either way, it asks a very important question. It asks this question. Are you ready for the party? No, not your next birthday party, and not that Christmas or New Year's Eve party you and your friends have plan for about a month or so from now, knowing that you will probably be told not to have that party anyway. Are you ready for the party? Are you ready for the ultimate party? Are you ready for God's party? Listen to what Jesus says. Verse 35, be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning. Verse 38, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready. Verse 40, you also must be ready. The preacher and teacher of preachers, Will Willimon, tells the following 
personal story. He says, early in my ministry, I served a little church in rural Georgia. One Saturday, we went to a funeral in a little country church, not of my denomination. I grew up in a big downtown church, he says. I had never been to a funeral like this one. The casket was open. The funeral consisted of a sermon by their preacher, and that was pretty, pretty much it. The preacher pounded on the pulpit and looked over at the casket. He said, it's too late for Joe. He might have wanted to get his life together. He might have wanted to spend more time with his family. He might have wanted to do that, but, but he's dead now. It's too late for Joe, but it's not too late for you. There, there's still time for you. you. You can still decide. You're still alive. It's not too late for you. Today is the day of decision. And then, then the preacher told how a, how a Greyhound bus once had run into a funeral procession on the way to the cemetery, and that could happen today. He said, you should decide today. Today is the day to get your life together. Too late for old Joe, but it's not too late for you, but it could be too late before we get to the cemetery. Says Williman. I was so angry at that preacher. On the way home, I told my wife, have you ever seen anything as manipulative and insensitive to that poor family? I found it disgusting. She said, I've never heard anything like that. It was manipulative. It was disgusting. It was insensitive. Worst of all, it was also true. Probably wouldn't surprise most of you to hear that this preacher would agree with Will Willimon's assessment of that country preacher's funeral approach. I believe the gospel can be presented in ways that are far more winsome and far more inviting than that. However, Willimon's wife nailed it. Manipulative, yes. Disgusting, yes. Insensitive, absolutely. Yet also true. In the parable of the serving master or the watchful servants that Jesus is, uh, Jesus is telling his listeners, he's, he's telling you and he's telling me, he's saying, be ready. But Jesus says it, I think, in a, in a way far more winsome, inviting, and even convincing that, uh, than that old country preacher. Friends, Let's try for a moment to get into the mind and into the world of Jesus to understand what he meant. The story is a simple one, really, and it would have been very, very familiar to the people of, of Jesus' day. It involves a very wealthy man, the master, who has many servants. The job of those servants is to care for the master's estate, among many other things, they serve as his private security force, protecting his home from burglars and other intruders. While it's the servant's task to keep unwanted guests out, it's also their task to be ready at all times to open the gates of the estate and the doors of the home to those who have a right to enter, especially the master himself. Now, Jesus' story is of a master who goes off to attend a wedding party. 
Jewish wedding parties in those days were gala affairs that lasted for seven days and seven nights. No wonder the wine ran out at that wedding in Cana where Jesus had to do the water to wine miracle. We understand that and we think that through. But here's the deal. The master could tire of the party. The master could return home at any time, any time within that seven-day span. And when he returned, he would expect his servants to be waiting and watching with someone awake, even deep into the night, with their lamps burning brightly, so the gates and the doors could be flung open and the master welcomed home upon his arrival. Now, the story of Jesus takes a strange turn here, a turn that would have surprised his first century listeners because this just didn't happen. Jesus says that if the servants were found faithful, that is, awake and alert with their lamps burning brightly when he returned, then the master would throw a great party for them. In his joy at finding them faithful and watching, the master would become a servant to his servants. He would put on an apron and prepare a sumptuous meal for them. He would sit them at his table and, and the master would come and wait on his servants. The master would throw a great party for his faithful servants. That's the story. And it's a fantastic story. But but what is Jesus trying to say through the story? What, what's the meaning of the story? What's the truth here that can transform our lives? Well, Jesus is himself the master in the story. That's what he's getting at. And the people of his day and our own day are potentially the faithful servants. Long before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the, the prophets of God pointed toward his coming. They had alerted the people that God would send Messiah, that God would send a mighty deliverer to save them. The, the people were told to be ready. The people were told to be watching. The people were told to be looking for the one who would come in the name of the Lord. And when Jesus came, some were ready. Some were watching, but many were not. Those who were ready came to the party, came to the party of God's presence now in their midst. These faithful, the, the faithful one whose lamps were still burning brightly, experienced Jesus, Son of God and their master, becoming Jesus, Son of Man and their servant. The Word became flesh, and made his dwelling among us. They walked with him, and they talked with him. He became their teacher and friend. He loved them. He affirmed them. He cared for them. He washed their feet. He showed them the way of the kingdom of joy, what he called the kingdom of God. Get this. Get this. Being in the presence of Jesus was like being at a party. Oh, to be to be sure, sometimes the conversation at the party became serious, even somber, like those, like those times when 
Jesus predicted his own suffering and death and told them to expect the same for themselves, but the laughter always returned. Joy and hope were always around the next bend in the road as they followed Jesus. You know, sort of like a resurrection might follow a crucifixion. But, but those who missed the party, those who were not ready for the party, were jealous of the joy. So they crashed the party, hauled Jesus away, dragged him up a hill called Calvary, and on a bad Friday that we now call good, they tried to end the party. They crucified the master and thought they killed the joy. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. His enemies rolled a mighty stone in place to seal its entrance. They rubbed their hands together in satisfaction and glee, declared the party over and pronounced sadness and sorrow the victors. It was a, it was a bad Friday, one horrifically bad Friday. You know the story. But then came Sunday. Then came the Sunday that made the Friday good. Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day. It was the day the party would be revived. It was the day the joy would be restored. It was the day the celebration would resume to continue and to continue without end because Jesus is alive. And now, now the party of God's presence among us never ends. Are you ready for the party? Are you awake? Are your lamps still burning? Are you watching for Jesus? Are you looking for the joy of the kingdom? Are you ready for the party? Are you ready for the party that will take place at the end of this present age? Are you ready for the day when Jesus Christ will return to this earth as he promised? You also must be ready, said Jesus, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Jesus left this earth nearly 2,000 years ago now. He ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And even now he sits on the throne, in the throne room of God. He sits at the right hand of the Father from where he rules and exercises authority over everything in heaven and on earth. He's gone to be with the Father, but he promised. He promised that one day he would return to, these, to this earth. They were among his final words, this promise, that he would come to gather his faithful servants, both the living and the dead, gather them to himself, and with them, Jesus will launch a new age that will last forever. Jesus, the one the grave could not hold, Jesus is coming again. As sure as the sun will rise tomorrow morning, so too will the Son of God return at a day and an hour we do not know. And when he returns... When he returns, the, the party will intensify and the joy, the joy will know no bounds. Are you ready for the party? The party of Christ coming again at the end of this present age. But here's the more important one, I think. Are you ready for the party that's going on right now? What about the party of Christ's presence in the now. Because you see, the Christian's faith isn't solely for some 
distant day, way off in the future. The Christian's faith is for every day. It is for right now. The party isn't just someday. The party is this day. Jesus wants to come to us now. Make our joy complete now. Giving us purpose in the now. Calling us to abundant living in the now. Inviting us to serve with him in the now. Are you ready for the party? The party of Christ's presence in the now. In the right here and the right now. Some of you are undoubtedly thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for the party. I've been ready for a long, long time. Come, Lord Jesus, come. But perhaps there are some of you who aren't so sure. So let me tell you how to get ready for the party. And maybe again, more importantly, how to stay ready for the party. How to keep those lanterns burning. First of all, you get ready for the party. You stay ready for the party by surrendering your very self, by turning your life over to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. There can be no better way to get the Christmas season off to a great start. Acknowledge that you are the servant. Acknowledge that Christ is the master. Surrender yourself to Christ's loving control. That's where it all starts. And get this, don't miss this, Everyone comes to the party in the same way, on their knees in surrender. I've been to the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, Israel, a, a number of times now. The Church of the Nativity commemorates the traditional birthplace of Jesus in Bethlehem. There is this there is this one door leading into the church that is very, very low. You can't strut in. You don't have to crawl as one groveling, but you can't stand to your full height to enter either, unless you're a small child, which is kind of interesting. You have to bend, sort of like you have to bow to enter this holy space. And that, that's how we come to the party of Christ's presence. That's how we come to Jesus, to the master. <clears throat> no one, no one struts in with a chest full of medals and a long resume of achievements. No, we all come to the party in the same way. Kings and peasants, the rulers and the ruled, the rich and the poor, the powerful and the powerless, we all come in the same way on our knees and surrender. If you want to be ready for the party, begin by surrendering your very self, your all, to Christ's control. Call him master, call him king, call him Lord. Secondly, we get ready for the party by taking on an expectant attitude, by surrendering ourselves, by taking on an expectant attitude. Here's what Jesus said. Keep your lanterns burning. Expect the master to come to you at any time and in every place. This is so good. In your sorrows and in your joy, in the bad times and the good at home or at work, at school or at play, expect God to come to you. Expect God to meet you in your deepest need. 
Look for and anticipate the party of God's presence, even as the Father and his angels came to Jesus in the wilderness of temptation early on at the outset of Christ's ministry, so too. Friends, God will come to meet and care for us in the midst of our wilderness experiences, no matter what those experiences look like. A surrendered self. Give yourself over to his control. An expectant attitude. Expect him to come to you daily. And thirdly, get ready for the party by choosing a focused spirit. In this season of the year, focus the attention of your heart and mind and spirit on God, on the ways of God and the things of God and the plans of God and the purposes of God. Hear this now, hear this. Understand that history has a goal. It's not just going anywhere. It's going somewhere. History has a goal. Understand that there is a divine destiny towards which history, towards which the story of God is moving, and each of us can be moving along with it. Stay with me now. Stay with me. I'm not talking about fate here. I'm talking about destiny. And there's a big, big difference between those two. Fate, fate is what we are compelled to do and compelled to be. We have no real choice in the matter. We are driven to it. Driven to it by unseen forces and uncontrollable circumstances. Whatever will be, will be. Que sera, sera. That is fate's theme song. And it is not a biblical concept. It is not a Christian idea. Destiny. Destiny is the biblical concept. Destiny is the Christian idea. Destiny is what we are meant to do and meant to be, and we have a real church choice in the matter. We are invited to God's party, but we choose to come or not to come. We are invited to place ourselves on God's side within the world, but we get to choose whether or not we will do so. We are free to help God or hinder God, to be on God's way or in God's way. And each of us gets to choose which it will be. It is said that the great conductor Arturo Toscanini was once rehearsing with an orchestra, getting ready for a big conference concert that was coming. But it was an orchestra that wasn't really trying, wasn't working very hard. So quietly, the maestro laid down his baton. And he looked out over the orchestra until all were quiet. And then he said this, ladies and gentlemen, God has told me how he wants this piece of music played and you, you hinder God. A bit of an overreach perhaps. And yet friends, that is our choice. To be for God and with God to help God or to hinder God and get in God's way. To focus on the ways of God and the things of God, the plans of God and the purpose of God. 
commit ourselves to those or to live our lives oblivious to and without giving any thought to the party of God's marvelous presence in the now, his activity going on all around us now as we just wait for some heaven that is to come. The days and weeks at the beginning of another God-given Christmas season that then move into a brand new year. This is a great season, a great time of the year to focus on the things of God. The Christmas season, uh, particularly, it can, it can be a great time of distraction or it can be a great time to find direction. Distracted or directed, distracted or directed, we may find either, it's up to you for you, just as it's up for me, to me for me, your choice for you, your, my choice for me, distracted or directed, fate or destiny. A surrendered self, giving ourselves over to Jesus, doing that pretty much every day. An expectant attitude, believing that Jesus is in this with us, that he's going to come to us in our deepest need, in our darkest needs, and in our times of joy. A focused spirit, focusing on the things of God. And finally, you get ready for the party, my friend, by developing a loving, compassionate heart, or maybe allowing God to develop within us a loving, compassionate heart. You know, a heart like God's, a, a heart like Jesus. I want to share with you, uh, as a way of concluding this morning, I, I want to share with you a favorite story of mine. I, th this story's been in my folder for years and years and years and years. I don't know how long ago I came across, across it, but it was written some years ago by a fellow by the name J.E. Parks. And if you've never heard of him, join the party. I hadn't either. But here's the story he tells. I love it. He writes... It was Christmas Eve, and as usual, George Mason was the last to leave the office. He walked over to a massive safe, spun the dials, swung the heavy door open. Making sure the door would not close behind him, he stepped inside. A square of white cardboard was taped just above the topmost row of strong boxes. On the card, a few words were written, George Mason stared at those words, stared at those words, remembering. Exactly one year ago, he had entered this same vault, and then behind his back, slowly, noiselessly, the ponderous door swung shut. George Mason was trapped, last one in the office, entombed in the sudden and terrifying dark, he hurled himself at the unyielding door, his hoarse cry sounding like an explosion. Through his mind flashed all the stories he had heard of men found suffocated in time vaults. No time clock controlled this mechanism, however. The safe would remain locked until it was opened from the outside tomorrow morning. And then the realization hit him. No one would come tomorrow. Tomorrow was Christmas Day. 
Once more he flung himself at the door, shouting wildly until he sank on his knees, exhausted. Silence came, high-pitched, singing silence that seemed deafening. Deafening. More than 36 hours would pass before anyone came. 36 hours in a steel box, three feet wide, eight feet long, seven feet high. Would the oxygen last? Perspiring and breathing heavily, he felt his way around the floor. Then in the far right-hand corner, just above the floor, he found a small circular opening. Quickly, he thrust his finger into it and felt faint but unmistakable a cool current of air. The tension release was so sudden that he burst into tears. But at last he sat up. Surely he would not have to stay trapped for a full 36 hours. Surely somebody would miss him, but, but who? He was unmarried and lived alone. The maid who cleaned his apartment was just a servant, and he had always been sure to treat her as such. He had been invited to spend Christmas Eve with his brother's family, but children got on his nerves, and besides, they always expected presents. A friend had asked him to go to a home for elderly people on Christmas Day and play the piano. George Mason was a really, really, really good musician, but he'd made some excuse or another, and he had intended to sit at home with a good cigar, listening to some new recordings that he was giving himself. George Mason dug his nails into the palms of his hands until the pain balanced the misery in his soul. Nobody would come and let him out. Nobody. 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 Miserably, the whole Christmas day went by and the succeeding night. On the morning after Christmas, the head clerk came into the office at the usual time, opened the safe, and then went on into his private office. No one saw George Mason stagger out into the corridor. No one. No one saw him run to the water cooler and drink great gulps of water. No one. No one paid any attention to him as he left and took a taxi home. There he shaved, changed his wrinkled clothes, ate breakfast, and returned to his office where his employees greeted him casually. That day he met several acquaintances and talked to his own brother. Grimly, inexorably, the truth closed in on George Mason. He had vanished, vanished from human society during the great festival of brotherhood, and no one, no one had missed him. No one at all. Reluctantly, George Mason began to think about the true meaning of Christmas. Was it possible that he had been blind all these years with selfishness, indifference, pride? Wasn't, wasn't giving, after all, the essence of Christmas because it marked the time God gave his own son to the world? The reflecting went on and on all through the year that followed with little hesitant deeds of kindness, with small unnoticed acts of unselfishness, George Mason began to prepare himself. And now, once more, it was Christmas Eve. 
Slowly, he backed out of the safe, closed it. He touched its grim steel face lightly, almost affectionately, and left the office. There he goes now, in his black overcoat and hat, the same George Mason as a year ago. Or is it? He walks a few blocks, then flags a taxi, anxious not to be late. His nephews, his nephews are expecting him to help them trim the tree. Afterward, he's taking his brother and sister-in-law to a Christmas play. Why is he so happy? Why does this jostling against others on a city street, laden as he is with bundles of presents for, for the children, why does it exhilarate and delight him? Perhaps the card has something to do with it. The card. The card he taped inside his office safe last New Year's Day. On that card is written in George Mason's own hand these words. To love people. To be indispensable somewhere. That is the purpose of life. That is the secret of happiness. That's the party, to love people, to be indispensable somewhere. That is the purpose of life. That is the secret of happiness. And that, I tell you, is our God-given destiny. And it's how to get ready for the party, the party of God's amazing presence among us. As we move through these weeks immediately ahead, to December 25. I pray that this question may enter your head from time to time. Am I ready for the party? Surrender yourself to the Lordship and control of Jesus Christ. Expect that he will come to you, that he will come in your joys and in your sorrows whenever you need him, whenever you're not even looking for him, there he'll be. Expect him. Resisting the normal, routine distractions of life and the season, take hold of your destiny. Focus on the things of God. Focus on the ways of God. And above all else, love, love those around you. All those around you. Those near to you those far from you. Because that's how big God's heart is. That's how big he invites your heart to be. That's our destiny. Selfishly loving for the sake of others, for the sake of Christ, and then discovering whether we knew it or not all along, it was also for our own sakes. It's party time. With Jesus at the center of our living, it is always, always, always party time. Because 2,000 years ago, he came. He still comes. And he will come again.
In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.